how getting comfortable is the most dangerous thing that you can do in business and in life, the troubles that employers and employees are going to have working remotely, and how he created Uscreen all coming right up. This is episode number 191 with the founder and president at Uscreen, PJ Taiyi. Hey everyone, welcome back to Nick Carrier's Best You Podcast. I'm here because you want to be the best version of yourself, but there are so many things that you need to do to get there. And because it's overwhelmingly complicated, it's easy to lose focus and easy to lose a sense of direction, which is why so many people end up being less than who they could be. That's why I create videos, podcasts, and programs to keep you on track to your best you. Go to nickcarrier.com to learn more. Today, I bring you the founder and president of Uscreen, PJ Taiyi. Uscreen is a bootstrapped video platform helping companies monetize content and make money selling videos online. In this episode, you're going to learn about his prior entrepreneurial endeavor and how he applied those lessons he learned to Uscreen and so much more. As you're listening to the episode, be sure to tag me at carrier underscore best you and tag Uscreen at Uscreen TV to let us know you're listening. Monday mornings can be the bane of your existence. It can seem impossible to get motivated on a Monday morning, but not if you receive my Monday Motivation Trio 111 newsletter. Every Monday, I send out one motivational quote, one inspiring video, and one workout to get your week started with a bang. Just go to nickcarrier.com slash 111-newsletter to get this in your inbox every Monday morning. Again, it's nickcarrier.com slash 111-newsletter. Without further ado, here's to getting closer to your best you with the founder of Uscreen, PJ Taiyi. All right, what's up, everybody? Welcome back to Nick Carrier's Best You Podcast. I am super pumped today to have the one and only PJ Taiyi with me here today. So I just want to start off, PJ, for uh, saying thanks for spending the time with me today. Absolutely. It's my pleasure to be here as well. Yeah, it's going to be awesome. So PJ is the founder and president of Uscreen, which is a bootstrapped video platform helping companies monetize content and make money selling videos online. And I was just watching a podcast that I think you did a couple of years ago, but it was really cool because the podcast, you were essentially sharing your screen and showing your platform. And I know you guys have updated your model since then, but I I loved learning what exactly Uscreen is for and how people can use it and how people can build a business off of it. And so I'm really excited to talk about some of the specifics of Uscreen itself, but I'm really excited to talk about kind of you, your entrepreneurial journey and some of the lessons you've learned and all that kind of good stuff. So the way I want to start today, PJ, is back in 2002, 2003 time range, you started a company called WebNet Hosting and y'all were a leader in managed hosting services with specialties in e-commerce and video hosting services. And you were there for about 14, 15 years. What do you think throughout that long period of time were a couple of the biggest kind of entrepreneurial lessons that you learned? Yeah, absolutely. Good point. And and that company I started when I was about 22, 23, and then had it till about three years ago. So it was a, it was a long journey. And I think I learned a lot of things in that journey. If I were to kind of, you know, narrow it down to three, I would say I learned a lot about people operations, just managing, and we only had a handful of employees, I think at the most, maybe five, but just working with people, kind of setting processes, um, it really tests your patience to be able to work with people consistently and set deadlines and all that good stuff. For me personally, since I was very young and I started that company, 
you know, a lot of my immaturity level and just not understanding what it takes to really grow the company got us to plateau in about 2008, 2009. So about seven, eight years in, uh, we plateaued for a good few years and I wasn't able to kind of comprehend the long-term effect of that. So by the time I was like, all right, well, we're not really growing. I mean, we remember we had built up the business at the end towards about 5,000 accounts, but at that time it was probably about 2,500 to 3,000. So it was a stable business and hosting like kind of like your GoDaddy competitors, people are hosting their websites for their, you know, e-commerce sites and so forth. And they're not really canceling. So they're there. It was a very stable business. Because of that, um, you get comfortable. And that's what mm -hmm. happened. We got comfortable in the business. We weren't expanding our marketing, finding new ways to acquire customers. So that tested me in, you know, falling into sort of a pit that we weren't growing for a few years. So I had to come back to the drawing table and work really hard to kind of catch up on the years that we didn't expand the business. And that taught me a lot about not to get comfortable in business. You really mm -hmm. have to always be paranoid and be pushing yourself consistently to keep moving forward. Because when like kind of the tide rises, all the ships do too. And that happened in hosting. And that's kind of happening in video now as well, especially with the pandemic, everyone's streaming video. So what happens is you kind of get there's a saying for it that I've heard. It's kind of like everybody's fat and lazy, meaning you're just kind of sitting down, the accounts are coming in and you're just, you know, you're keeping up because there's just so much coming in. And that happened with hosting as well. It was the beginning of the internet and it really took off and that got you comfortable when it slims down. It's what have you done differently in your product to look ahead to be something more. So that would probably be the top two or three items that really kind of it, it taught me in business. Yeah, no, I think that's a huge point. It's a business lesson, but it's a life lesson as well. I think if you ever feel too comfortable, then something's wrong. You always need to have some area of your life where you're pushing yourself and you have a kind of a heightened sense of urgency because of some kind of uncomfort level. And I think whether that's business or whether that's life, we should always kind of have that. But I kind of want to go back to that first thing that you talked about how you learned people operations. So what kind of piece of advice would you give 22-year-old PJ Taiyi, who is just starting this company, like you said, kind of had some immaturity, not sure kind of how the best way to manage and lead people. What are some pieces of advice that you would tell that guy? Yeah, absolutely. I think with people, you have to, you can't just expect, and this is, this is the way I thought, can't just expect people to do their job. That's ideally the situation with the person that you want to hire is just, hey, I'm paying you, do your work, right? But generally speaking, the average person you're going to hire, most people you'll hire will need the vision from the manager or the person they report to, to kind of tell them, hey, you need to write documentation for the platform. I'd like to see this in two weeks. Come back to me first with a table of contents or the uh, topics you want to make videos about or help guides about, I'll review them with you. And then you can go and make the first few, I review them. Then you make all of them and you're good to go. So you got to kind of give them that roadmap rather than being like, hey, can you build documentation for the platform? I'd like to see it in two weeks, right? So ideally in, in a big corporate org chart, I would say like a VP or a CMO or someone like that or chief operator, would be able to deliver at that level, but the average executor in your company, like a documentation specialist, 
unless they have a lot of experience and understand the platform really well, won't be able to deliver that unless you give them a process. So right. basically you got to manage that person. You got to give them a process. You got to set some milestones. You got to do that with every single project you have. So that obviously took time to figure out. You can't just throw a task at someone and just say, hey, do it. I'll see you in two weeks. And that took me a long time to figure out, to be honest. Yeah. So it sounds like to me that it's about creating a very clear vision and a very specific set of expectations for people. Absolutely right. Gotcha. So you were there, you were there for 14, 15 years, and then you decided to essentially go create Uscreen. What was the trigger that led you to be like, okay, now this is time to go do something else? Yeah, absolutely. For a few reasons. One, the web hosting market was the first decade, or I would say seven, eight years, was very hot, moving, growing. You just put up a website and you were growing, basically acquiring accounts, especially if you had your online marketing SEO down, which we got down very early on. But also remember in hosting, we were reselling a lot of the other softwares, for example, cPanel or Parallels. So you can basically go and get a cPanel license, put it on a server in a data center. Now you're a web host, that easy. And then underneath you, you can have resellers that get their own reseller service in order to sell that service. So it became commoditized pretty quickly with that. And the reason is that I never built a platform. I never built a software, licensed it, and then sold it as a software, as a service. Ultimately, I went, paid for a license of cPanel, packaged that, and the packaging was not super easy. Like we packaged it with a media server. We packaged it with a shopping cart because that's what ultimately we did. We helped people launch e-commerce sites. So we were e-commerce right. hosting, just like Shopify, Shopify competitors at the time. Shopify wasn't as big. So I didn't have a platform. I never built a software. And when the industry got commoditized, I realized, okay, it's time to really build something, build a platform. And we started at the very early stages. And the reason I went into videos, I knew video was going to grow. I looked at YouTube and I went and asked some people, I was like, hey, would you pay for videos? And some of them were like, well, we kind of pay for Netflix. We pay for Lynda. That was around. Now it's LinkedIn Learning, but it was lynda.com. But it was still kind of like, all right, well, I paid for DVDs. Maybe I'd be willing to, you know, stream a DVD maybe or a video and it won't get stolen, something like that. That would be a doubt a, a content owner would have. But now it's a no-brainer. It's like people pay for fitness videos and all that stuff. But the first year or two with Uscreen, it wasn't like that. So the reason I went into software as a service is I wanted to build something, a software. I knew SaaS was the future right? Two, I knew video was growing. And third, the biggest one, which goes back to the previous question is web hosting was very commoditized. It had already plateaued. And when I got back to say, all right, let's grow hosting, I had realized that GoDaddy's in the space, uh, web.com, Hostway, all these massive companies paying 60 to $100 per click for the keyword of e-commerce hosting when seven, eight years before it was 30 cents a click, right? So mm -hmm. it was impossible for me to make that work being so kind of not late in the game, but late in really acquiring some of those customers early on. Gotcha. So when you were making that transition into that market, like you said, you weren't the first one there, but you saw the opportunity relatively early enough. 
What was that decision like? Were you nervous? Did you feel like it was a pretty big risk jumping into this new business? Yeah, absolutely. I think initially, remember for us, we're bootstrapped as well, right? So we never got funding. We never got a seed round, but I pumped a good few hundred thousand dollars into Uscreen the first 18 months, about $400,000 within the first two years. Wow. Half of that was within the first 12 to 14 months easily. That was from money from Webnet hosting. It was just the cash flow and initial small investment from a savings account, but it was mostly cash flow. So that got us up off the ground because I had to build an MVP to show uh, potential customers because there was obviously other competitors in the space like Brightcove and Vimeo who were doing something very similar very basic, but they had a product. So I had to compete with those guys. So to answer your question, initially, yeah, it was extremely nerve wracking, very difficult because now you're taking 10 to 20 grand a month of pretty much most of your profits from the previous, from WebNet hosting, pumping it into this company, not knowing at all what the outcome is. And I think that absolutely that shift towards launching a new company especially SaaS, if you've never built software before, like I had never built software before, the higher development companies then hire our now CTO, it's very difficult to get off the ground. So yeah, someone might say you had that initial seed round, which was my personal funds, that absolutely helped. Without that, I couldn't get off the ground. You gotta have some money to build software. Launching a technology company or running one to date is extremely expensive. Right. Very talented is very expensive to hire, especially marketers fake it till you make it. Engineers are extremely expensive and hard to find. Think about it. the whole world is building software, right? The whole world is building software in every single niche to find a good developer to build that software is not just one developer. Then you need someone to do the design. You need the UX. Then you need someone to manage product. If you've never done it, what do you build and not build? So I think that's why there's also advantages in having a platform is it's not easy to build software. And that's why I think there's a lot of commoditized, like it gets commoditized and big names come and really dominate is because even in our niche, there's a handful of companies that do it really well, but the bigger names try and come in and take over because there's not a lot of good software out there because building software is difficult. Mm. Yeah, that sounds like... It's quite the undertaking to get a technology company up and running, that's for sure. I want to talk a little bit more about kind of the clients and customers that you guys have who are using your platform. And so it's basically uh, creators, business people, entrepreneurs who are selling their video content on your platform. What are people who are either using your platform or using another platform like YouTube, what are these video creators, a lot of people, what are they doing wrong right now? that a lot of people that you see are doing right? Yeah, absolutely. Good question. So one is obviously a lot of our creators or the companies that join us are on YouTube. Actually, it's, it's about 50%, not more than that. It's actually now, especially in the last six months, there's so much other type of creators and influencers coming on our platform that have never been on YouTube. But YouTubers in general, they're advertising via ad insertion, right? AdSense. And Yes, if you have a big following of a few million subscribers, you might make 20, 30 grand a month. That's obviously two, 300,000 a year. It's a good amount of income. But 
that's like the top 1% of YouTube. I, you know, it's, it's very, we have some good blog posts on our blog on how difficult it is to make money on YouTube with ad revenue. So that would be one mistake is depending as a creator to make money off YouTube and taking your talent of teaching fitness, teaching business, teaching motivation, and actually launching a YouTube channel to make money with YouTube, I think is extremely difficult, right? Yeah. I think that's difficult. Even on kids' content, faith-based content, those same brands, individuals, influencers, content creators come to Uscreen, they get paid a subscription fee or a course price for that content. And our average creator now makes about 15 grand a month. We have 5,000. Some wow. of them make 200 grand a month. We have creators that make a million dollars in their first six weeks, you know? So it's not even comparable to get paid directly from your audience to pay you $10, $20, $30 a month or $100 for your course compared to getting millions of views on YouTube to make five bucks or 10 bucks or $100, right? And there's no doubt the world is willing to pay for content, especially educational content, right? Any type of e-learning, which even involves fitness, teaching how to work out, yoga, meditation. Think about 25% of our content is fitness. The rest is e-learning along with kids and all that stuff. And definitely some entertainment, comedians, National Comedy Center, Opera of Australia, all those on our, our, on our platform. So anywhere from individuals to large brands. Gotcha. So with those people who are on your platform, the ones that are, you know, killing it and have million a million dollars in sales a month or $200,000 in sales a month. What are some of those like key things that they're doing on a regular basis that allow them to be so successful? Is it like the quality of the videos, the quality of their marketing? What, what are some of those like really key things that that is the determining factor? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. A few things. One, I don't think most of them have good marketing. Okay. okay. So they're not doing funnels and inbound and all that stuff. One successful factor is if they already have a following, that's really mm. easy. They have a YouTube following, Instagram, email list. They're a brand that already has an audience, right? doesn't have to be a big brand, but they have some type of audience. Um, that makes it really easy because now you have an additional service, especially with the pandemic. Let's just talk easy. One that everybody listening knows, fitness, right? But there's a lot of stuff, theater, arts, you name it, kids. But fitness is an easy one. So, for example, we're in D.C. Below us is, is Flywheel. That's a cycling studio. We work with another competitor of theirs called Spinning.com. We're speaking of SoulCycle. All these different companies you walk into, you do the cycling class. When the pandemic happened, you couldn't walk into it anymore. It's shut down. But now they can stream those classes, right? So they already have an audience. It's an additional service to that audience. Hey, guys, you can't come to the gym. Why don't you watch us online? And that's where it gets very easy as an additional service to monetize. And there's no doubt people are willing to pay for that as well as be part of that community now online. And we give you tools for those community tools for interaction, right? Like live chat and all that stuff. Um, so that's one of the key things. The other things they do is we do have some marketing tools like your email sequences, your funnels, you give away a video, and then you collect their email and then do all the email automation to nurture them into your membership site. Those funnels are built in. So that absolutely, those types of marketing funnels help to bring in an audience. 
most of them are probably not doing heavy marketing and paid advertising or anything like that, maybe retargeting. So those would, I think, be the main, but content value and what you have is huge. Yeah. That makes a big difference. What you're offering, the value of the content is important, not so much the production quality. It does not have to be production grade content. It's more, what are you offering to teach? If it's there and people want it and you've tested it and there's followers on YouTube, they're willing to get pay for it. There's no doubt about that. Mm, that's awesome. That's awesome. Yeah. I think, uh, like you just kind of said there at the end, I think a lot of people put so much stress on the quality of the video early on and they don't actually take action, but it's just bring so much value and people are going to be willing to pay, pay a price for it. Absolutely. Yeah, no doubt. So, <laughs> When you went about creating Uscreen, like we had mentioned before, you grew. You're currently now up to like fifty to sixty people who are working for you. What do you think is one of the things that you learned back from your old company that you took now that has helped you to grow the business and be able to lead that many people effectively? Yeah, absolutely. So the leading of that many people, to be honest, was something I had to absolutely learn. I've never had that skill, right? I've never been in a position where I had to hire managers, uh, that simple, right? So when you grow a team, you have to hire managers. People have to come and manage those specific pods per se and do a good job at leading. There's no way I'm able to oversee that many people like properly. There has to be managers. So I've never been in that situation. That's been a learning curve. But what prepared me the most from the previous company to the new company is actually one main item I can say, and that is not to get comfortable, right? I think that's the main thing. From the beginning, when I started this company, I was absolutely paranoid, anxious, and very aggressive in making sure everyone that came on board, letting them know that the competition is coming, the market's always shifting, we need to constantly innovate. We need to push forward. They have a lot more money than us. Not just being competition focused, but that absolutely helps push forward because we're all fighting for the same people. You know, you ultimately right. want to look at the end user journey and what the end user is looking for. Do they like, you know, watching video on phones or website? Uh, you know, what, what, what's the next thing they're looking for? But absolutely, being aware of competition and how they're coming and saying the same thing because you're fighting each other is really important. So I would say that's probably number one is to not be comfortable. Keep pushing. Yeah, I love that. So what's, you know, I think a lot of people, what's what's kind of like the balance of not getting comfortable with where you currently are with your business, but like being confident with where you are? Like how, what what's the kind of the difference in that feeling, if you will? Yeah, that's a good question. That's a good point. So I would say you absolutely, I think when starting a business, if you have what it takes, and most people do, you just have to dig deep and push forward. You have to be confident. That's, that's a really good point. You're right about that. Because if you're very anxious, very paranoid, you're not going to be confident, most likely, right? And, and you just made me think of that, right? So I think it's important to absolutely focus and tell yourself that you can do it and I'm confident to do it and I have what it takes. I also think that will tell very early on when you're starting to do business because it's not easy to get started. So having that confidence of many people who will tell you no 
is either going to stop you from doing it or you're going to find ways to do it, right? So that confidence will show. But you absolutely have to be confident. I personally don't like being bullied. And some of the big competitors will try to send, you know, small like the season desist and little stuff like that to just kind of scare you off or strong arm you per se. Not that we've done something wrong or you're going to do something wrong, but you just have to be confident in not letting others bully you and just pushing forward and saying, I'm able to do this. And there is enough room in this market, which really there is. That's why I think the average person now listening, me and you and everyone else likes small companies. That's not a downside anymore. In the hosting days, people didn't. Where's your data hosted? There was no AWS 15 years ago. Where's your data hosted? Is it in a, is it secure? Do you have a, is there a lock on the door? Stuff like that would come up often. Now there's AWS, there's DigitalOcean, there's so many streaming providers, video. Carrying and delivering the video and hosting your data is no longer an issue. People just trust it's an AWS. So because of that, people like smaller SaaS more Mm. And they trust and they like that community aspect of being with a small company. As long as you have your compliance, your security, you built good software, people trust that, which is a huge advantage. Yeah, no, I think you're right. I think that's a good point that I haven't really thought about it. I do think that a large chunk of people now prefer small companies. And that's definitely one of the biggest, I feel like, misconceptions a lot of maybe early on entrepreneurs feel like is they feel like there's not enough room for them to succeed and someone else to succeed, but there's, there usually always is if what you have is a really good product or a really good service and you're providing actually a lot of value. Um, so you guys, you started Uscreen back in about 2016 and I know you guys have had different models to your site and made obviously different adjustments and stuff like that. What has maybe been one of the biggest like pivots that you guys have made throughout your journey that you saw like we have to make some sort of adjustment here and so we have to make a pivot because I think in both business and in life like we have to set goals and we have to have some sort of vision for where we want to go but we also have to be willing to be flexible sometimes and make certain pivots so is there any pivot that kind of stands out for you guys in Uscreen? Yeah absolutely there's been multiple pivots I think one of the initial ones is when we started Uscreen is um, I looked at I didn't think subscriptions would be as big as they were going to be. I mean, it's about 60 to 70% of our customers, but still 30, 40% are selling one-time sales, rentals, pay-per-view, even free opt-in. So subscriptions, we had to make a pivot infrastructure-wise to support those types of subscriptions, multi-tier subscriptions coupons, the way they work with subscriptions is different than the the way they work with other types of offers. So that was the first technical pivot, I would say, to support that model. And that came from a very early customer of ours. They're still with us. It's called Total Immersion or Total Immersion Academy. It's a swimming institute and they sold a lot of DVDs and individual courses. They came to us. They're like, we want to launch a Netflix type swimming academy. So that kind of sparked interest. I started looking around. I was like, yeah, this can definitely work. So that was the first pivot. The second pivot was whether we should stay on course as being a video platform or should we go the LMS route, learning management system. There's a company called Teachable, Thinkific. They're more towards the learning management route where they give you certifications and quizzes. 
you'd be surprised. Most people don't want all that stuff. Just like YouTube, they just want to watch video. So are we going to stay the video route and do the paywall subscription video and give you your own apps? Or are we going to go the easier route platform wise, which is no apps, one time sales, mostly for courses, the LMS route, which was very crowded, but really big. Those companies have been around much longer than the competitors on the side we're on now, but it's a lot bigger, right? Even if you look at the competitors now, still to date, they're larger on the LMS side, but the video platforms are definitely catching up. So we made a strategic decision to stay the course and be a video platform and support the complex apps because apps are very complex, but we luckily figured it out. It took probably four or five years. So that was the other major pivot is do we go where everybody is going or do we go the video side? Because the video side, to be honest, didn't have a lot of competition for the first two years when we were in it. We were kind of like, does this market even exist Yeah. to be a $10 million business? You know, so that was a major shift in our thinking. Wow. That's awesome. Yeah, you got to definitely feel like you've been very good about being intentional about the pivots and making sure you do all the research beforehand in terms of the different markets and where there's really the right opening for you guys to be able to provide the most value, which is great. So like we talked about beforehand, your entire company is remote. And right now, a lot of businesses are looking like they're going to be going more and more that way. And a lot of people are going to be uh, working from home f- for good. So what kind of pieces of advice would you have for people who do work remote all the time, who are not necessarily, who are not like the boss, they're not the, um, or anything like that. What pieces of advice would you give to the other employees in terms of how to still be the most effective employee they possibly can? Yeah, that's a really good question. To be honest, this one's very, I'm laughing because I think they're in for a surprise. So yes, <laughs> the pandemic, yeah, the pandemic has happened and you're right. I think the remote first culture or people working remote is absolutely going to explode. So let's back up for a second. Why did Uscreen go remote? I actually hated it. This is actually a great question. I hated remote. Okay. And I'm saying that with kind of passion. I really disliked it, but let me tell you why. First, I was bootstrapped starting Uscreen five years ago, okay? Yes, I told you I spent almost a half a million dollars the first two years, but it, I would have spent 1.5 to 2 million the first five years if I had hired anyone in DC. I didn't hire a single employee in the Washington DC area, right? Wow. Average employee here is 70, 80 to 150,000 a year. And that's literally your average, like they, they're not very, very well experienced. So. I knew right away from looking for developers initially that hiring anywhere within the DC metro area, even Maryland, where I grew up, Virginia, anywhere within 100 miles of the capital, as well as New York, anywhere where I could, was not an option. It just, you need a handful of developers. So that's number one. I had to look remote. It was my only option without funding. So when I looked remote and I hired remote, I started to see the issues six months, nine months later that you're going to have as a remote company. It's very, very difficult to manage people remote. One, the person you hire has to be the right person. It's even even harder remote. So the average person you're going to hire, they're going to come into the company. Many times they're not the right fit. Imagine hiring that person, not never meeting them. 
you see a lot when you see a person like in zoom you're you know sitting i'm moving a lot i like to move a lot if you notice but you see certain things but when you sit in front of her the moment you see them it's kind of like it clicks that physical uh, character that that person has you can tell a lot about it. you can't see that so it's just like you have to develop the sixth sense which comes over time you're going to make a lot of mistakes so hiring becomes harder number one two managing becomes harder you have no idea when this person takes a break. You're going to get busy, right? It's nothing wrong with taking a break, but you have no idea when they're working. How online are they? How active are they, right? Are they really, as, so as the company grows, it, your process and what they deliver to you and how well they do it, you're going to have to tighten that up. So I think companies instantly going remote will have some benefits and the benefit is you can find people faster all around the world because i'm not just looking within 30 miles if i look 50 miles the guy has a long commute right in this case you can look anywhere so that helps but the other thing that's not going to help significantly is are you going to make a mistake hiring them too how are you going to manage them you've never managed people remote and also the other thing you have to consider is that person um, that you hire most of the time, I actually, our, our head of marketing now, Tamara, she has a lot of remote experience. And when we started working with her, she would always tell me, she's like, when I was looking for someone, she'd be like, do they have remote experience? And I'm like, no, not really. Why does that matter? You're going to be working remote. So she really enforced that. And it's true. Mm -hmm. If someone hasn't worked remote, they won't know how they're going to act. The first three months is fun. You wake up, it's convenient. But generally speaking, and I'm talking this about myself, Nick, I don't like working from home. I'm more lazy. That's why I'm in a WeWork, right? I'm mm -hmm. here. Our head of technology is here, but he works from home most of the time. I like coming in an office. I feel better. I see people. I have a standing desk. Um, I just ordered one for the house too, but that doesn't make a difference. I think I'm lazy at home. It's just the way it is. So I don't like working from home. I, the average person... I think is either really going to like it and do extremely well and is very disciplined or they're going to be lazy from home. So I think it's going to be a lot of challenges for the companies that want to shift to remote. It sounds cool. And yes, we needed, unfortunately, a pandemic to let people know Zoom exists and it's possible to do, but it's extremely difficult to manage a team remotely. You basically have to I would say difficult in the fact that you need to add a lot of processes, a lot of tools, mm. find many different ways to manage these people and their processes. Yeah, I think um, I think kind of the misconception is a lot of people think that the transition is easy to go from office to remote. But like you said, there's something to be said for having a different environment for where you live and where you work. Because I know so many people, it's it's impossible to separate the two. And and they and they let them blend too much. And I really I really like what you said. How um, one of your managers asked if someone you're hiring has any remote experience? Because I do think that that is huge. Because I know plenty of people who have just gone remote for the first time, and now they just like have no idea how to hold themselves accountable and stay disciplined to what they're supposed to do. And so if somebody kind of already has that muscle built up, then they're going to be so much more successful when you first, when you first hire them. So I think that was a really key, a really key point. And I'm glad that you shared that. Well, uh, second to last question here, PJ, is I think that in order to, this can be more of like a kind of a personal development question. I think that in order to get closer to the best version of ourselves, I always like to try to 
picture what the best version of myself looks like and what he's capable of, and then try to reverse engineer him. Um, so I want you to imagine the best version of PJ. Is there a particular skill or piece of knowledge that that version of yourself has that you don't currently have? Yeah, I would say like one of them, the key one would probably be public speaking, right? So I haven't had much practice in it. I've always been busy running the business. So I would say that would be a key goal. I'd like to be out there more, do more public speaking. And the podcast was actually one of the key ways that I started doing that about three, four months ago is getting in front of um, or just putting the time to talk more and just collaborate and so forth rather than constantly doing operations but yeah i would say just getting out there more doing more public speaking i would say hopefully as things open up it's actually safe to go to events and people actually show up then i'll plan on doing that yeah that's awesome and and like you said just just doing it in repetition is the one of the best ways that you can improve improve there that's for sure well before i ask the last question pj i want to acknowledge you because i think that for you to be able to have so much like you, I I can't see it because you're older now, but I, I can see you as somebody who never does get comfortable. And even though you had to learn that from your first company, now you learn that at a good time early enough to where you're never going to let that hold you back any further. And for you to also be able to make that jump from uh, the web hosting to now you screen and be able to start that company and have the courage to put almost a half a million dollars into it. Um, it's so cool. And I know you're going to just continue to to blow this thing up. And I can't wait to uh, see what more you screen has to offer the world. And so I want to make sure. Yeah, and I want to make sure everybody can go and support you guys as much as possible. So make sure you guys go to uscreen.tv. That's U-S-C-R-E-E-N.tv. And you can follow PJ on Twitter at PJ Tai, which is P-J-T-A-E-I. Other than that, the last question here, PJ, is that I think getting closer to the best version of ourselves is a constant journey. I don't think we're ever there. And I also believe it's a unique journey. I think that the way that I'm going to get closer to the, my, my best self is going to be a little bit different than the way that you get to the best version of yourself. So for you personally, if there are three things that you could currently do or currently work on to get to that best version of PJ Taiyi that you could possibly be, what are those three things that you could do or work on? Yeah, good question. Obviously, I get busy all the time running this company. So I'd like to read more. Okay, spend more time reading more, spend more time looking into what other companies are actually doing as well, right? I, mm. I do some of that. I could always do more, more. I like staying active, but I'd like to do more of that, especially in the mornings, get the blood flowing and uh, the juices flowing and kind of, you know, thinking better and all that stuff. And the fourth one would probably be some meditation as well. You get very preoccupied with everything you're doing in the company, constantly getting like kind of hit with questions and everything all the time. So just kind of having some mindfulness would always be good. Yeah. Awesome. Well, those are great things. Uh, get working on them and get closer to that best version of yourself. Well, I appreciate it so much, PJ. Have a good one. Absolutely. Thank Thank you very much. Of course. There you have it. I hope you enjoyed this super informative episode with PJ. Make sure you share this episode with an entrepreneur you know. Learning the lesson that being comfortable with your business will lead to its failure is so key. And PJ learned that from firsthand experience. If you like the show, be sure to leave it a rating and review on iTunes and let me know what you thought about it. I also post a video episode every single week along with the show notes and you can find those at nickcarrier.com slash podcast. Remember, if you feel comfortable in business or in life, start to do something that makes you feel a little uncomfortable because complacency 
is the enemy. You never want to let it settle in. And remember, remote work is harder than you think. If you need to find a separate place outside of your home to go work, then do so. It's not easy to stay disciplined at home. So if you have no experience with it, find a way to stay focused because your employer depends on it. For now, it's time. It's time to take action. Don't let another day go by where you're not focused on becoming your best you. Cast a vision for where you want to go as clearly as you can. Define a few action steps to get closer to that and then execute. The journey is a constant one. It's a bumpy one, but it's a worthy one. It's the journey closer and closer to your best you.